Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast, where each week we talk with shelter employees and agents from around the country to find out what's going on, to hear the stories that might otherwise go untold, and to connect you more closely with why you are an important part of making it all happen for our customers and communities. Let's take a look at what's going on Behind the Shield. Welcome, everybody, to another episode. I'm your host, Douglas Jones, and alongside me is our producer, Brad Johnson. And here's a rundown of what we have in store for you. For the next month, we're going to have a focus on the future, and we're going to be looking on the horizon to see what's ahead for shelter insurance. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about something that we hear about from time to time, but we probably don't give much thought as to how it affects us, and that's government relations. Brian Waller, the Vice President of Government Relations, sits down with us today and is going to explain what he does and what he's working on to make shelter better for us and our insureds as we look ahead. So, Brian, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, thanks for asking me. I'm glad to be here. So, it's interesting that you and I are neighbors. I could actually throw a rock and hit your patio if I wanted to. <laughs> I, I promise not to throw rocks at your patio. But uh, <laughs> it's funny that uh, this is the first time that we've talked in a while. So, uh, I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. I'm going to have to do a good job so you don't throw a rock at me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, government relations is something that a lot of us really don't know much about. So can you give us a quick synopsis of what your role is all about? You bet. So you know, a story that I sometimes tell, I got into this job and it involves a lot of travel because we are regulated by the states. So we're in 21 states. That means we have 21 regulators that regulate us. We have trade organizations, two national trades and several state trade organizations that we belong to. So at some point, my young daughter asked me where I was going, and I was telling her, she said, now tell me about this job again. What is government relations? And so I tried to put it as simply as I could. I said, Kate, if you had a problem or if you needed help with something, would you rather go to someone you never met before, or would you rather go talk to your best friend, Charlotte? She said, Charlotte. I said, it's the same thing. She said, so that's why you have to travel to stay friends. I said, I guess so. (laughs) So... So, you know, our regulators, our lawmakers, they all impact what we do and how we do it. And it's very important for us to have a voice to to answer their questions and to help guide them, you know, when we can for somebody that may help our insurance. So you've been in your role how long now? Six years. Six years. Okay. And Shelter hasn't always had someone in your role, right? We, We had someone previously who spent part of their time doing government relations but they had several other obligations they're responsible for. When I was hired into this role, it was to be a full-time government relations uh, professional. And so, you know, we've really, really focused our efforts. And I think that's the big difference between how we've approached this job since I've been in it as we did before. So you have to keep your eye on what's happening in all of our operating state legislatures. How do you go about doing that? So we belong to two national trades, trade organizations, both for property and casualty insurance companies. One is called NAMIC, the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. The other one is APCIA. Those two uh, trade organizations provide us with a lot of services. One of the services they provide is I get emails from them daily and they update me as to what each state legislature is doing and what the departments of insurance are doing in those states proposed bulletins they're considering, hearings they're having on those bulletins. So that's how I'm able to to keep up. And then in states where we are most involved, in Missouri and Arkansas, we actually have contract lobbyists that work directly for shelter. 
those contract lobbyists in Arkansas and Missouri are very, very talented and they're a great source of intelligence and they're able to keep us surprised with all the comings and goings in those states. So with all the various things that could be going on in all of our states, how do you determine what you need to focus on and, and then what factors influence your decision to put your efforts into a particular issue? That's a great question. So there are a lot of things that I look at. First, it's going to be how likely is it that we can have an impact? So in some of our states, and I'll talk about Missouri and Arkansas, it's more likely that we can have an impact. That's because we have legislatures that are controlled uh, right now by more business-friendly legislators, and there are governors in those states that are a bit more business-friendly than we've had in the past. And we have contract lobbyists in those states. We have very, very strong uh, agent grassroots organizations, so we can contact agents and they'll help us. So in those states, it's going to be a little bit easier for us to get involved and to actually make a difference. You can pass that with a state where the legislatures are stacked against us, where they are more pro-trial uh, attorney and they're more anti-business. And maybe we have a smaller presence because we just don't have as many agents in that state. That's going to be harder for us to get something done. So I look at those things. I also look at what's going to impact the, the bottom line. I try to pick things that'll have as big an impact as possible. We may have a list of priorities and we have to go through that each year and decide what would be most impactful for shelter and what are we most likely to uh, succeed in passing. I'd like you to share with us about how what starts as an idea eventually becomes law. So take us through that process from identifying the issue to getting lawmakers to debate the bill to actually getting it passed. This is probably a place where uh, a lot of us don't don't really realize how much energy it takes to get something into a bill and to get it passed. A great example would probably be my, it was my very first agent meeting. It was in the state of Arkansas. That was the first state that we got organized into right after I was hired. And I was meeting with some, with some of our agents at our very first agent meeting. And I'm telling, trying to describe what this job is and, and how I can help them. And I asked them, challenged them. I said, if you know of something, something you think would make a difference, something we need to look at, let me know. And right there on the spot, an agent, Jay Vandover, raised his hand. He said, I've got one for you. I'm like, well, let's go. And he told me about a, a house that he had insured for a million dollars. He said it burned to the ground and we paid a million. He said, well, the problem is about three or four days before that fire, the insured went to another insurance company, took out another million dollar policy and then collected $2 million a million from us and a million from the other carrier. Now, all of our policies, uh, the industry's policies, all have pro rata language for situations like this. And what I discovered is that Arkansas had a very, very old value policy law. It was over 100 years old. And it was two sentences long, and it very simply said, if there is a total loss for something other than earthquake or flood, you pay the policy limits, period. And the Supreme Court of Arkansas determined that means each policy you have on it pays its policy limits. And because the law didn't say anything about pro rata, it didn't allow that policy language. So now the next step is to visit with some of our attorneys. Brian Kuhlman and Connie Morley helped me with this. They did all the research. They looked around the country for some language, you know, looked to other states to see if we could see something that worked in other states. We crafted language that said, in this situation, we will pay our pro rata share. The next, so after we have that language put together, the next step is to get the industry to support it. 
So for that, we go through our trades. I asked them to distribute it to the rest of the membership to have them look at it. And then I went to the group of carriers and independent agents that get together, but it's not a formal trade. And I asked them to look at it. And then after we all got on the same page on the industry about the language and what it would do and made our little edits, I then had a meeting with the uh, commissioner of insurance in Arkansas, Alan Kirk, told him about the issue and said, really what we're looking at is anti-fraud. And so we all complain about the one we have. We don't buy three by accident. When you see that, it's a fraud situation. So he agreed and he thought it was good language and he wants to promote anti-fraud legislation because the more things we can do to legally keep that policy as affordable as possible, that helps him and his customers. He wants that policy to be affordable. We want it to be affordable. And now that we have this anti-fraud bill, we could go talk to legislators about how this was good for everyone. We had to go to the insurance committees visit with those chairs. And that's where we had our hearings and talked about how this would help insureds. As you might guess, there was no one to step up from you know the fraudsters to say they wanted to keep it. Uh, so we eventually were able to get that passed. And, and one of the most fun things about that uh, was to be able to go back to Jay Vandover and say, look, man, because you raised your hand, because you tell us about a problem, we were able to get it fixed. Had we passed that law before Jay's problem, the company could have saved $500,000 that we didn't owe. Wow. So that is a ton of work. So that, that process, how long did that take from the time Jay gave his idea till, till we saw that passed? So that was a short one. That was just a year. Uh, so, you know, typically they're going to take longer than that. What would you say is your secret sauce for getting lawmakers to insert something into a bill or to influence them to pass it? You know, it's really, really simple. It's just being able to explain to them very simply and very clearly why this is good for consumers. That's it. If we can't do that, then we don't have any business talking to them. There's an old adage that says, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I'm guessing this maybe applies in seeing an idea become a law. So what does it take to develop the kinds of relationships with lawmakers and other influencers in so many states, especially when a lot of them are only there for a few years at a time? I think just simply it's the same thing that is, is probably the most important thing to any relationship, and that's just being honest with people. You know, and when I'm talking about legislation, in addition to being honest about what it does, I have to be very honest about who's not going to like it. That needs to be part of the discussion right off the bat. I think it's being there. You know, it's hard to have a relationship if you don't go there and, and you know, they see you and you visit and talk to them and get to know them. So let's talk about what you're working on right now. What are some things in the pipeline that are going to help shelter or our insureds out there that's being debated or signed or waiting to become law? So in Arkansas next year, their legislature starts in January. We're working on two things. One, we're calling our MedPay bill. Previously in Arkansas, we could subrogate MedPay. So if our insured is in an accident, and but someone else is responsible for that accident, let's say a State Farm driver is responsible for that accident, we may pay MedPay on that if they have any medical bills. But in the past, we could then subrogate that money back from State Farm, which again would allow us to keep the premium down on our MedPay payments because we're not we're able to get some of that money back from the party that's at fault. The problem is, is over time, Arkansas courts have legislated from the bench and they've done away with that. And so we're we're running a law that will allow us to once again be able to subrogate MedPay. And I think the concept is simple. The concept is the at-fault party should pay. 
Something else we're doing in Arkansas is really directed at anti-fraud. There is an issue in parts of Arkansas where runners or marketers that work for chiropractors in particular will go to a police department, grab police reports as soon as they're printed, and then start calling people on accident reports that have been injured. And then they'll start to steer them towards chiropractors, even maybe if the people aren't that bad hurt. We wrote language that we then shared with the attorney general. The attorney general liked this because they saw it as being an anti-fraud bill. And they actually gave more language to our bill and made it an even stronger regulatory bill. And I think that's really going to help us to pass it. Because when we have this conversation with legislators, we can honestly tell them this is a bill that the attorney general of the state of Arkansas helped write and sign off on. In Missouri, we are working on something that has to do with our ability to have our day in court. In Missouri, trial attorneys are able to, in certain circumstances, go to court without an insurance company or go to arbitration without an insurance company, roll up a big judgment, and then we have to defend it in a lawsuit. And so our, our story to uh, legislators is we just need a day in court. Let us be there to give our story. Let us be there to have evidence and to have witnesses and to ask questions on the record. I said at the, the top of the show, you know, we're going to focus on the future for the next few episodes. And it sounds like all of this stuff really is very forward looking. You just stay with it until you get it across the finish line. All right. Well, one last question for you. So in an election year, especially there's a lot of negative sentiment toward lawmakers, politicians, but from your close involvement with those folks on a regular basis, what is the most hopeful thing that you think others need to know about their legislators or the legislative process? I know what you're talking about because, you know, I have a television (laughs) (laughs) and I read newspapers daily and I watch, you know, Saturday Night Live and all the comedy stuff. I, You know, we have that feeling for a reason, but I would tell people, you know, I'm in these capitals and I visit with all kinds of legislators from urban areas, from rural areas, very conservative, very liberal and people in between. And the vast majority of these legislators, the vast, vast majority of them are just regular everyday folks who honestly believe in their heart they're doing the right thing. Uh, the, the majority of them are trying to make a difference and in their heart, they're feeling like they're doing that. Very few people are as mean and craven as we might think that they are. Get to know their state senator and, and just talk to them on a personal level, their state, leg- their state representative. Um, one of the things that people often tell me when our employees and our agents, when they call to help support a bill, they tell me about how friendly their legislator is. And that's because these folks are running for office. <laughs> so, so if you do talk to them, you should expect them to be friendly. You should expect them to be genuinely nice. Even if you may disagree about some topics, they're, they're, most of the time they're going to be very diplomatic about it. In my view, it's much more hopeful than maybe we think it is from some of the more salacious headlines. It's good to know. Well, Brian, thanks again for coming on today. Brad, as always, appreciate everything that you do to produce these episodes. I want to thank all of you for listening. If you have any ideas about topics you want us to talk about or that you want us to know that you subscribe to the podcast, reach out to the show at podcast at shelterinsurance.com and we'll give you a shout out. We always appreciate your feedback. Remember, this podcast is also available on all the major podcast platforms. You can find it 
at behindtheshield-shelterinsurance on apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Every one of us works in a unique way. Some of us do it in an office. A lot of us are doing it from home. Some of us do it out in the field. And sometimes the work is even done at state capitals. No matter where it is, the one thing each of us has in common is we do our best each day to make Shelter an even better company for all of us, our insureds, and our communities. And all that is part of what goes into making Shelter strong.